It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This just isn't working, Prime Minister. Everyone could see what happened. It started with reports of boozy parties in Downing Street during lockdown. I can tell you that the guidelines were followed at all times. The Prime Minister pretended that he had been assured... Repeatedly assured... There were no parties. That there was no party. How that fits with this defence out, I do not know. Then the video landed. Was cheese and wine all right? It was a business meeting. Blowing the Prime Minister's first defence out of the water. He pretended he was sickened and furious. Furious to see that clip. Now it turns out he was at the parties all along. Can't the Prime Minister see why the British public think he's lying through his teeth? This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. Today, can Boris Johnson survive this time? Dennis Staunton is our London editor. Dennis, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Connor. Now, it's just over a month since you were with us last talking about how Boris Johnson was in trouble over Christmas parties held in Downing Street in 2020. But this week, the controversy got even worse for Boris Johnson. Can you go back to the start of this new chapter in the saga and tell us what happened? Yeah, Boris Johnson had been in some trouble over uh, reports of various parties that happened in Downing Street and in various other government departments around the time of lockdown. A senior civil servant called Sue Gray was investigating a number of these parties, seven or eight of these uh, parties. And some of these events were things like people might have been having a drink after work uh, at their desks. And so there was some kind of ambiguity about it. But then what happened was that a report came out about a party on the 20th of May 2020. And this time it was different because this time the party was in the garden of Downing Street. Boris Johnson was at it. And and the, the, the party happened after an invitation was sent out by email by Boris Johnson's private secretary, a man called Martin Reynolds. In his email, Martin Reynolds wrote, Hi all. After what has been an incredibly busy period, we thought it would be nice to make the most of this lovely weather and have some socially distanced drinks in the number 10 garden this evening. Please join us from 6pm and bring your own booze. 30 to 40 people did, including the Prime Minister and his wife. And suddenly this looked like a party that nobody could deny was a party and that Boris Johnson would find it hard to deny that he was there, given that there were about 40 other people there. At the start of this week, Boris Johnson was asked quite reasonably by reporters 
if he was at the party, what did he say? He said that he couldn't really uh, answer that question or it wouldn't be appropriate to answer that question because this party was the subject of an investigation by Sue Gray, who's an independent figure, a civil servant, and he wouldn't want to in any way prejudice what she was saying. And people then kind of reasonably said, but you can say whether you were there or not, you will have known that. But he said, no, 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 I can't possibly say it really would be wrong. And that was the line that ministers were sent out to take for a day or two. And that brings us up to Wednesday when Boris Johnson appeared in the House of Commons. And at that stage, he was full of apologies. And I know the rage they feel with me and with the government I lead when they think that in Downing Street itself, the rules are not being properly followed by the people who make the rules. What made him decide that he had no choice but to apologise? Well, I think there were two things. One was that this line, I can't possibly say whether I was there or not because there's an official investigation going on which will tell me whether I was there or not, was clearly unsustainable. (laughs) The other problem was that what had happened, and I think it took a lot of people at Westminster by surprise, was that the reports about this party triggered memories in people about what they had gone through in May of 2020. The rules of t- at the time said you could meet one other person outside your household outdoors for exercise. But more importantly, at the time, you couldn't visit your friends or relations in hospital. And so you started to hear all of these stories about people remembering how they had perhaps said goodbye to their mother or their uh, husband or their wife or whoever on FaceTime, on a, an iPad or on the phone, all of these stories. And there was a particular moment in the House of Commons on Tuesday evening when there was a debate about all of this. Boris Johnson didn't show up to the debate. He sent a relatively junior minister to it. But Jim Shannon, the DUP MP for Strangford, he got up to uh, talk about how you know the facts about this party should come out. In Northern Ireland, we reached a milestone of three. He started a speech saying that uh, Northern Ireland had reached a milestone in terms of the number of people who died, and he said, including my mother-in-law. Including my mother-in-law who died alone. Well, and he broke down. Well, will the paymaster general confirm that there will be a full and complete disclosure to the the police service to ascertain it all was done decently and within the regulations at the death and at that time. I'm sorry, Mr Speaker. What was so moving and affecting about this was that clearly Jim Shannon didn't intend to have any kind of an, an expression of emotion. And he was hammering his hand and, his, and the piece of paper in his hand to try to get the words out to ask his question. It helped to change the mood and it was quite clear to MPs all over Westminster and particularly to Conservative MPs that this story had struck a nerve with their constituents. Afterwards, after this uh, apology, uh, senior Tories were trotted out and they described his, his apology as abject and fulsome. Do you think it was? Well, as you know, Connor. Uh, the correct meaning of the word fulsome is uh, rather overblown and phony. And so in that sense, yeah, they possibly were. (laughs) Now, Boris Johnson has stuck by this line that there is an ongoing inquiry and he insists that we need to wait for the outcome of that investigation before we know what to do next. Now, it's being headed by civil servant Sue Gray. So who is Sue Gray? 
Sue Gray is an experienced civil servant. She works in the Cabinet Office now. Under David Cameron and uh, Theresa May, she was the head of ethics in the government, so that if, for example, you wanted to write your memoir, it would go to her and she'd say, well, you can't say that, that's uh, breaking the Secrets Act. She would essentially tell people what was within the the rules in terms of their behaviour. And in that sense, she was regarded as quite fierce and quite fearsome. And, And government ministers and senior officials were afraid of her. Who makes the final decision on what happens to this investigation into parties at Downing Street and into Boris Johnson? Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson determines whether he broke the ministerial code. He determines everything in terms of what was right, what was wrong, what actions ought to be taken. And so Sue Gray, as an official, she's going to be able to write a report and she can uh, set out the facts. She could, if she wanted, put an interpretation on the facts. I think the general expectation is that because civil servants don't want to overreach themselves and they don't want to appear as unelected officials to topple uh, an elected Uh, government or the head of an elected government, uh, that she will be quite careful about what she writes. But the thing is that if she just sets out the facts of all of these things, the facts that we know already in public are pretty damning. She knows more facts now because she's been investigating all of this. She'll have had access to communications, to messages between people. She'll be able to set out a picture of all of this. But once she sets out the picture in strict official terms, Boris Johnson makes the decision about what happens. In political reality, Conservative MPs will decide what happens to Boris Johnson. There's a political investigation happening on the one hand, but if these parties broke the law, the police would be investigating it too. Has that been happening? Is the London Metropolitan Police Service investigating this? They said that they're taking a look at it. They have, you know, that they are aware of it. They have not started an investigation. And there's a question as to whether they will or not. There's some pressure on them to do so. Obviously, Downing Street is teeming with policemen. I mean, there are police on the doors, there are police everywhere. And so you'd expect that one of them might have noticed if there was something (laughs) going on. And it's also, it's worth saying that at the time in May 2020, that the police, the Metropolitan Police, were prosecuting people for lockdown breaches. They were harassing people who were having a drink in the park. If the Metropolitan Police were to start some kind of a formal investigation, that would probably mean that Sue Gray would have to pause her investigation because it would be uh, subject to criminal investigation. So it may be that there's a kind of a sequencing that uh, she reports and then, depending on what she finds out, that the Metropolitan Police then uh, enter the picture. If they do enter the picture, that could be very serious, obviously, because if um, the Prime Minister were to be Uh, arrested, or even if he were to be questioned under caution. That would not be a great look for the Prime Minister. Indeed. What's the timeline here, Dennis? When will this Sue Gray investigation be completed? Are we looking at months, days, weeks? Days, I think. We don't know. Uh, She hasn't told anybody. But I think the general expectation around Whitehall is that it'll be possibly towards the end of next week. Uh, We're not expecting it before then. And it's then a question of what uh, what happens after that. And that question is, as I say, entirely a question for the Conservative MPs. At the very start of the podcast, we heard from the Labour Party leader, Keir Starmer, and he was in the House of Commons on Wednesday setting out this timeline of what's happened in the story so far. But of course, Keir Starmer was under real pressure himself to deliver, wasn't he? Because here he was kicking into an open goal and he really couldn't afford to miss. So how did he get on? He did well. He's not a very imaginative 
politician and he's not a very imaginative performer. For somebody who's a, a senior barrister, he often kind of sticks to a script. He seems to be a little bit taken by surprise if somebody does something unexpected. But uh, the fact was that he did. As you say, there was an open goal. He kicked he has six questions and he kicked six goals, uh, you know, balls into the goal or whatever you do with goals. Anyway, he kicked them. Well, that apology was pretty worthless, wasn't it? Yeah. Let me tell him why this matters. Yesterday, the questions were short and they were punchy. One of his questions, it invoked uh, the story of a woman who had actually met Boris Johnson and uh, whose father had died and uh, that she then realised that actually while she was collecting the death certificate of her father, that was the day that this party was going on. What Hannah wants to know is this. Does the Prime Minister understand why it makes her feel sick to think about the way that he's behaved? Now, one of the big things uh, Keir Starmer did on Wednesday was he called for Boris Johnson to resign. Was that a big step for him? Yes, because generally speaking, uh, leaders of the opposition don't do that because if they keep calling for the prime minister to resign and he doesn't, they look ineffectual. And it also tends to galvanise the government MPs if uh, you're behind the prime minister. In this case, I think he called for Boris Johnson to resign because he thinks he is going to. He thinks he's going to go. And so uh, you had nothing happening behind the Prime Minister from the Conservative uh, MPs. They were all there, but they were completely silent. They were expressionless. They were utterly still. They didn't roar in his defence at any stage, even when uh, Keir Starmer appeared to call him a liar, which is unparliamentary language. And so I think that uh, you know, the reason that Starmer called for his resignation is because he thinks that he's, on the, that he's finished. And so it was a safe time to do so. Coming up... Can Johnson survive? And if he goes, what will his legacy be? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On Wednesday, the Scottish National Party leader in the House of Commons, Ian Blackford, also got stuck into Boris Johnson. Now, his approach was to appeal directly to the Tory backbenchers. Trust has been lost and the public will not forgive or forget. If the Prime Minister has no sense of shame, then the Tory backbenchers must act to remove him. They know the damage is done. So how do those Tory backbenchers feel about Johnson now? Would they be tempted maybe to take Ian Blackford's advice? Yeah, they don't feel very well disposed towards him. Part of the problem is that if you think about their position, watching him at Prime Minister's questions and this excuse... I didn't realise the party that I was at was a party. Uh, 
And they have to ask themselves, can they go back to their constituents and answer a letter from a constituent about uh, how they couldn't see their dying father or whatever uh, with this particular line? Or can they go on local radio and defend it? Many of them feel very uncomfortable doing that. The second calculation they've got to make is is Boris Johnson, who they chose because he was an election winner. And he has been shown to be an election winner. Don't forget, uh, he took them from their lowest position in the polls in upholding history in 2019 to win uh, an 80-seat majority. Many of them owe their seats to him. But they have to calculate, is he still an election winner or has he served his purpose? And most Tory MPs the first thing they're thinking about in all of this is, will I keep my seat? How do I best keep my seat in the next general election? And I think many of them are now starting to think, you know, you have one chance of a reset. This government is so associated with Boris Johnson that if you really want to change uh, the mood and the government is down in the polls, Labour in the most recent poll, 10 points ahead, uh, Boris Johnson is very much a drag, it would appear, on the popularity of the government Maybe it's time to have this reset, get rid of him and move on. And what are the more senior members of the Tory party saying? Do you get a sense that there's a Johnson out camp growing? I think if you spoke to most of them, that privately a huge number of them, possibly most of them, would say they think it's better that he should go. Where they don't agree is who should replace him. And they also don't necessarily all agree on when he should go. So until this week, the conventional wisdom at Westminster was, if he's going to go, it will not be until the May local elections, uh, when a lot of the English constituencies uh, go to the polls. And then if they have a bad result, as everybody expects they will, that then uh, that you know, that'll be the moment to kind of strike or for him to go. Uh, and part of the the rationale behind that was that the coronavirus pandemic was still raging and it would look irresponsible for the Tory party to be focusing on itself while this was happening. But now, from here, it feels like the coronavirus has peaked and we're expecting in the next couple of weeks that these modest restrictions that were introduced a few weeks ago are going to be removed. So then it's kind of back to normal. Uh, work from home guidance will be removed. And so in a way, the thing that was his, his greatest strength, which was the coronavirus pandemic right now in terms of lifting the restrictions, could actually be his undoing. So now I think people are thinking, well, actually, can we wait until May? If he's so damaged, would it not be better to move now or to persuade him to move quite quickly? Over the course of Boris Johnson's career, both in journalism and in politics, he's managed to escape from some pretty tricky situations. Do you think he could escape from this? But because he's been so good at escaping from things, he got this nickname from David Cameron of the greased albino piglet. And, <laughs> uh, and so he is famous for uh, comebacks, for escaping and for being utterly ruthless in, uh, you know, in, in protecting himself. And it is also true that uh, practically every prime minister has to be dug out of number 10 Downing Street. People don't tend to leave it all, you know, voluntarily. So I think... From where we're sitting today, it looks very bad for him. If Sue Gray's report comes out next week, uh, and if it doesn't say anything good about him, and I think it's not going to say anything very good about him, then I think the likelihood is that uh, the pressure on him will increase. It's hard to see what happens in the next few days that makes things better for him, what bit of good news he's going to get. And so 
So really, uh, you know, right now, uh, I think if I were to predict it or if I were to describe what the uh, the sense of events is at Westminster, I think the general sense at Westminster is that he is on the way out. And the only disagreement is really about exactly how soon. But certainly within weeks, if not days, is, I think, the feeling. As you say, he has got this extraordinary record of escaping from spots that appear to be so tight that nobody could get out of them. But there is also a feeling that his magic might be gone. And again, if you just imagine uh, the next few months and right into next year, you can see how he could recover enough to survive. But it's hard to see how he recovers the magic. So he has gone from being an electoral asset to being perceived widely by Conservative MPs as a liability. And then the obvious next question is, who takes over? Who are the front runners to succeed Boris Johnson if he goes? The two front runners are uh, Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, and Foreign Secretary Liz Truss. Liz Truss is, according to Conservative Home, which is a website for Conservative members and activists, she's the most popular among Conservative activists. And the way the system works is that the MPs choose two candidates, and those candidates then could go to the entire Conservative Party membership. So she would have a, a certain advantage there in that she's popular. Rishi Sunak, though, is better known. He's more popular among the public. He's also got a certain structural advantage because of his job. Because he's Chancellor of the Exchequer, he can very plausibly invite backbench MPs in to ask them what they think about he ought to do about spending, what their constituency needs. And he's been doing that for a very long time. So he's got a chance to get to know the MPs very well. And he also, in a sense, he's everything that Boris Johnson isn't. He's young, he's thin, he's rich, he's uh, teetotal, he's got a very orderly personal family life. You know, he's, um, so if, if you tend to go for the opposite, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak can plausibly be that. He's also a proper Brexiteer. He was always a Brexiteer, whereas Liz Truss was a Remainer who then embraced Brexit after the referendum. But having said that, these things are unpredictable. Uh, things can go wrong in uh, election campaigns, leadership election campaigns, as Boris Johnson found out in 2016, when Michael Gove, who was his campaign manager, suddenly announced that he was no longer backing him and was running himself. And so things can happen. Uh, you know, So it's hard to predict. But those, uh, for now, are the front runners. Now, you mentioned the B word, Dennis. And uh, Johnson is the Prime Minister who famously, or should that be infamously, got Brexit done, albeit with a bit of tidying up still to do in Northern Ireland. You've also told us in the past that Boris is the most hardline person in the room when Brexit issues tend to be discussed. So if he goes, would that mean a potential change in the approach to Brexit and the negotiations over, North, over the Northern Ireland Protocol, whoever succeeds him as Tory leader and British Prime Minister? I think it's possible. If he goes, David Frost, who was the other hardline figure on Brexit, is gone already from the government. And so if you have a new prime minister, let's imagine it's Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak is conscious of you know, the economy and uh, Britain's economic interests. But also Liz Truss, as foreign secretary, is, is conscious of the fact that Britain has other interests in terms of its relationship with the European uh, neighbours besides Brexit. So both of those would, would, in a way, have an interest in moving beyond the unhappiness around Brexit, where the relationship with Europe is concerned. And both, I think, would probably want to resolve the issue of the Northern Ireland Protocol somehow. 
Whether they would immediately go and do a deal or not is another matter. But I do think that it's unlikely that whoever comes in is going to be more hardline on Brexit. It's also, I think, unlikely that any of the candidates will have to make too many hostages to fortune in the course of the leadership campaign. But having said that, I mean, I think they'll all have to be pretty hard line on the protocol in the campaign, which means that we're not going to get a deal on the protocol soon, probably. Johnson gone also kind of draws a line in a way under the Brexit wars. And it moves Brexit into a new phase where instead of trying to fight the battles of Brexit, you're now talking about whatever the benefits of Brexit might be or how to, you know, instead of getting Brexit done, it'll be about making Brexit work. Mm. Now, there's all this talk about parties in Downing Street, but of course, there's a whole lot more going on in the UK. You have COVID is still ravaging the country, Brexit, you have the levelling up plan, and there's much more besides. So in your assessment, how has Boris Johnson done as Prime Minister? And if he were to go tomorrow, would his premiership be seen as a success or a failure? But I think you can look at it in a few different ways. One, there's no question but that Boris Johnson was a consequential prime minister. He reunited the right of British politics, and that uh, ensured that uh, the Conservative Party had this really remarkable victory in the 2019 general election. You have to say, I think, that Boris Johnson played a central role in winning that election, and that was an important historical achievement, whether you think it was a good or a bad thing. And uh, with this mandate and this majority, we will at last be able to do what? We've been paying attention. Uh, He also actually did a deal on Brexit. The deal left various uh, loose ends untied, like around Northern Ireland. And it also, I think, an objective assessment would say that it wasn't economically very good for Britain. He probably could have got a better deal for Britain. But nonetheless, he got a deal. So in that sense, he did succeed in getting Brexit done. The other big issue is... COVID, and there the the picture is more complicated. More than 150,000 people died with COVID in the United Kingdom, a much higher figure than in most other European countries. Again, Boris Johnson's decisions must have something to do with that because he was slow to lock down at the beginning and quick to come out of it. And he was slow to take a number of decisions. Having said that, uh, Britain was first in terms of vaccinations. It moved very quickly. It's uh, a bit ahead of everybody else in terms of the boosters. So in, in a way, he failed on COVID because so many people died, but he succeeded in another way because of the, uh, of the vaccinations. I think otherwise, though, it would be fair to say that he's a politician who's good at campaigning and not very good at governing because he's not very interested in governing. He comes alive when he's out with the public and when he's out campaigning and with the sort of yabu of politics. But I think he finds governing boring. I think he finds all that detail, all those decisions that you've got to make. I mean, it's notorious that, for example, cabinet meetings uh, were very short under Boris Johnson, sometimes as short as half an hour. And the quickest way to get sacked was to talk too much at cabinet. And even if you were speaking to praise him, that you could actually get, got, get you know, you just wasn't going to listen to it. So I think, you know, uh, you know that's sort of the dull workaday part of governing is just something he doesn't get a kick out of. And he's not a details person in the way that, say, someone like Mrs. Thatcher was. So in that sense, I would say he has been a successful politician for the Conservative Party. But if he were to go tomorrow, on balance, his premiership has not been a success. And I don't think that history will be especially kind to him. Dennis Staunton, as ever, it's been a pleasure. 
That's it for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. We'll be back on Monday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.